in the torture book. We may not get to Alan Dershowitz's torture arguments uh, concerning warrants, that is, judicial warrants where an independent judge gives you permission for torture, his argument that every country is using torture, most police departments are using torture, that's less justifiable because it doesn't raise the question of the moral dilemma of the dirty hands and the counter arguments. So uh, next week, I'll try to go over these articles, or I may try to give you uh, uh, an iTunes recording of a lecture discussing that as well. Um, and let's just talk about the European Court of Human Rights, which probably will take all of our time. As I said earlier, the European Court of Human Rights was established in 19, early 1950s, originally had a commission, and then after the commission reviews a found, a, found a violation that could be a civil case, not a, it's not a criminal court, it's a civil court in our sense of there are no punishments that send you to prison. Uh, in most cases, the, the remedy is not money, the remedy is an injunction, what we would call a common law system, and that is an order. So an injunction uh, is a court order. Um, so there are several important generalizations that can make from this jurisdiction. First, you have a very rich case law. If you want to study torture in a judicial context at a level of human rights and, and supranational organizations, the European system is the best. It's the best because you've had cases for over 50 years now. They've been in a wide variety of contexts. And the law has changed over time. Uh, it's also embedded in the context of European integration, where you have a consensus among the member states of what is this Council of Europe, which for all practical purposes, all Council of Europe members have had to ratify the European Convention of Human Rights. There have been many protocols, that is, treaty amendments, which could be large and small, uh, which may or may not be in the jurisdiction of this particular court. But it's important to understand the Council of Europe is not the European Union. The European Union of 27 member states now, 2004 had a big ban of 12 new countries, so it was you know, a relatively small club. Originally, it was six Benelux countries, plus France, Germany, and Italy. And now it's expanded to East Central and Western Europe and the Balkans. But the Council of Europe includes all of Eurasia, Russia, human rights violating states. And it'll be very interesting to see how the torture, and for that matter, other violent human rights violations issues will evolve over time. But we did have two major areas, even three, two mentioned in the article, and I would add the Basque controversy with the, Spain's dirty war of disappearing Basque terrorists and their families or connections because ETA murdered about 1,000 mostly soldiers. I hesitate to use the word terrorist, even though that's how they're always referred to in the press. They did kill uh, the most people. Uh, in terms of government officials. Uh, more people died in Northern Ireland. It was 3,000. These are tiny little numbers when you compare the violence of most wars where like Bosnia, 200,000 died. Uh, obviously, we have many uh, catastrophic wars like Iran versus Iraq in the 80s, which killed a million people. 
And if that's bad, uh, in Eastern Congo, 5.4 million people have died since 1994 in just a few provinces, particularly the Turi region of Eastern Congo. So uh, developed democratic countries where you have a good life, people don't like to die. Death is not an obvious situation. So the three areas, you know, you, the one not mentioned is ETA and the Basques separatists. The two are the Northern Ireland and Turkey. Where Turkey has fought, I would say, a dirty war against the ethnic Kurds in southeast Turkey. Of course, that adjoins regions very close by in Iraq and Iran with ethnic Kurds who are discriminated against in all three countries. The Turkish constitution, I don't know if it's been changed recently, but had no autonomy, no provisions for group rights for this largest uh, nation without a state in the world now. The Northern Ireland case involved the United Kingdom was sued by Ireland. So the European Court of Human Rights not only allows for individual plaintiffs, but country plaintiffs. And unlike the Human Rights Committee of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which you don't have to know about for this class, where states can sue, but they never do, states do sue in the European system. And Ireland was uh, suing the United Kingdom for Northern Ireland's uh, in the war between ethnic Pro Protestants and ethnic Catholics. The ethnic Protestants were the descendants of Scottish colonists who were Presbyterian. And so it was Presbyterian versus Catholicism. It's the major ethnic conflict in the world where, which is not distinguished on the basis of language because the Irish lost their Irish except on the western side of the country, although it's coming back now. Um, the commission held that the five categories of torture listed, and none of these categories are remotely comparable, I would say, to the kinds of tortures that the Bush administration practices and the Obama administration probably practices as we speak on terrorists or alleged terrorists. But, you know, it's things like sleep deprivation, standing, hooding, hooding is similar. Um, but there's nothing, there's not any direct infliction of physical pain. The commission said this all, all five categories that are listed in Fanula Ni Aloyan, I don't know how to pronounce that Irish name, uh, but anyway, in her, I assume Fanula is a woman, uh, article, uh, all five were held by the commission, which was not a court proceeding, but a hearing procedure found to constitute torture. So sleep deprivation, isolation, standing at attention for days or at least hours were considered torture. In the court hearing, uh, the UK-Ireland case held that these were cruel and human and degrading treatment or punishment, but not torture. Is that significant? Well, it is significant because it builds the basis for the case law that followed. Um, the main distinction between that case and the cases that followed was Originally, the test was objective. That is, didn't take into consideration how the victim, or for that matter, the victimizer felt. Didn't deal with perceptions. It didn't deal with the interaction of objective techniques, in this case, torture techniques, and how there was response. Over time, one of the main things, as we've had many bodies of cases from around the entire Council of Europe, is that it's introduced subjective elements 
So more recently, it matters how the person feels. Why do you suppose they, they took that into consideration? Why not just use an objective test? After all, an objective test is more generalizable. It's more consistent. You'd think it would treat like cases alike. Well, I think there, anyone want to try an answer? I certainly would encourage any answers. OK, uh, well, I would say there are at least two kinds of answers to why subjective tests can be appropriate. First of all, we all know that discretion can be useful in analyzing. And we know that very severe pain is inherently subjective, right? It, what you consider very severe and somebody else considers very severe can be radically different. Some people have a higher pain threshold. Some people are actually trained to withstand the pain. I think if you played football, I don't want to offend anybody, you've probably gotten used to torture. Uh, but we had that debate already in the semester. Um, but my point is that there's an interaction effect between the objective act and the party being tortured. And related to that question is the fact that also how long you do it, right? I guess that's an objective fact. But you know, how, whether the person is dying or not, whether the person is physically suffering to the point of very severe pain uh, matters and varies from individual to individual. Some people are healthier than others, right? You don't inflict as much pain on an, a 60-year-old as you do maybe on a 20-year-old. Um, and quite frankly, I think the court also, in, in looking at over you know, dozen, dozens of different situations where you actually have concrete facts, you begin to realize uh, that sadism, not just getting information, and brutality and revenge are some of the motives involved as well. And so you want to, they wanted to anyway, the court, expand the motives. Initially, we all thought people, states only torture because they're trying to do something in the state's interest, national security, people's security. But there are a lot of people, professional killers, or at least professional demons, you know, who get drawn to this kind of job, right? They kind of like it. Right? We know, uh, like in war, right? In war, uh, we think war is hell, war is terrible, and it is certainly awful. But it's also the time when male, males particularly, but you know, our heroes, they bond with each other. Even though there's terrible loss of life, it's the one time in life when everyone sticks together. You know, and, and I, you know, I think it doesn't take, you don't have to be in favor of war to say that that's, that's a nice thing. Uh, now, still, some people hate war, can't live with it. Some people are neutral about it, uh, and some people, you know, love it. I mean, there are people who just can't wait to fight the next war, and that varies. So, because the, the torturer may also have mentally diverse thoughts, and the torturer, you know, may do it just because the torturer enjoys it. Uh, or at least doesn't get all upset about it. Uh, or maybe the torture starts by wanting to get information, but then just, just keeps on beating the person well beyond any rational reason to get information and just to get revenge or what have you. So uh, these subjective elements have been added. Uh, the distinctions have been into these three parts between you know, very severe, which is torture, Cruelty, which is kind of a middle ground, 
and inhuman and degrading. Now it's interesting they come up with three because the necessity defense in civil law systems under the CAT, which is a different treaty, that's the universal treaty, the Convention Against Torture, but this is the European Convention of Human Rights, uh, which has much more case law than the European Convention Against Torture, which is a regional torture convention, but doesn't necessarily have a court attached to it. In any event, the European uh, Court on Human Rights you know, will have more countries that have ratified the European Convention of Human Rights than the convention, European Convention Against Torture, and that's also a more re recent treaty. So uh, there, all of these are banned by the court, but some of these can get a necessity defense in the European system. So we only have a minute left. So to conclude uh, this, this introduction to the European system, what we can see is that uh, the court was lenient on the United Kingdom in the, as opposed to the commission by saying that it only violated uh, basically human and degrading standards and not torture standards. And that's because Northern Ireland was a particularly sensitive internal war that Britain was handling. They still made it illegal, and Britain st stopped doing those five techniques, but it didn't get the stigma having perpetrated torture. And what we can say over time is the standards have gotten higher in Europe. And now, uh, for example, it's much harder to get away with cruelty and human degrading treatment or punishment. Uh, the threshold for torture is lower. And we see now the expansion of subjective elements and the expansion into areas where the motive is not just getting information, but also trying to get revenge or punishing or beating up somebody. In fact, uh, torture convictions have been upheld by the European Court of Human Rights for laws, for example, which uh, criminalize homosexuality. So it has nothing to do with detention. To situations where they said that putting people in prison because they're gay uh, is a, f now it would probably be considered in the, in the categorization and human and degrading but it's covered by the prohibition of torture and cruel and human or degrading treatment or punishment, which is the complete phrase of prohibited behavior. Uh, and it's also obviously uh, rape, systematic rape outside a context of detention is considered now a form of torture in Europe, and that was adopted in the first genocide conviction in 1998 of the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. So even though we commonly think of detention as the context, we see how Europe has expanded all of these different elements over 50 years and treating the torture law in a far more uh, expansive and uh, ambitious way than, say, the United States has in our country. Okay, thank you, and we'll see you on Wednesday.